Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been on the, looking at Jesus' teaching in our series, Operation Red. Um, look, we can come in this place, and because it was over 2,000 years ago, we're reading a, a, a book, God's Word, about people and Jesus from 2,000 years ago and trying to get our mindset there, right? Because we really need to get our mindset there to be able to understand how it applies to us. Anybody here just want to hear a bunch of talking without anything that applies to you? No, I didn't think so. No, I raised my hand, but I didn't mean that. So this is just a hand-raising church, and it just happens naturally. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, I really want to venture from my notes a lot today because um, I, I'd be foolish to, to make you think that doesn't affect me when we see the opportunity sometimes grow in, in reaching people instead of what, where, where are we going to put them. And I just... I just struggle sometimes when we're in the Bible Belt and there's like a new church plant from a big church organization going up in Rogers. There's a new church every time popping up, you know, and, and that's great. That means we could reach more people, but there are churches just like ours all over with lots of empty seats. And we have to think that, that listen, while you got up in the morning, you got ready to come here because you came out of faithfulness to your devotion to the Lord and to come be together with, with uh, your church body. There are people who profess to believe in Christ this morning that just made the decision, I just don't feel like going. I just don't feel like being there. I don't, I don't feel like doing this or that. Do you, think that that's, do you think that that's really such a natural decision, or is there something else that goes on with us when we do that? Is it something just natural and just normal, or is it spiritual, or is it supernatural? I believe it's spiritual. I believe it's supernatural. In this day and time, if we could transplant ourselves this morning to some of the other countries who have some pretty incredible needs, like like if we went to if we went to India, to some of the small villages, where where some some of them would just love to be able to have a church setting like this. And I've seen my brother-in-law's church in India, which is much nicer than this. <laughs> but you could, you could pick any place in the world, and you can pick places in Arkansas. You, you can pick places all around where, where it would be blessed to have, where you, you could take out of the door here, run as hard as you could, and you'd smack your face in the door of another church. And you could run this direction, and it wouldn't be long, you'd see another church sign. You can run that direction, there's another church. We are so blessed. And, it, and it's come to the point where church becomes an easy decision. Do I go or do I go? The only thing that holds us back sometimes is, is, well, I don't want anybody to think badly of me. Or I probably should go. But we, but we really have to understand what the purpose is of be, us being here because what I learned when I was at Walmart home office working there uh, for eight years is that, um, I'm sorry, this thing is, try to shut off on me. Okay, the thing I learned is, is that we naturally, in the natural world, we will put ourselves and invest ourselves in things that we find value in. If we don't find value in it, then we don't. You, you won't spend time on something very long and dedicate yourself out of sympathy for someone else very long. So in other words, a, a pastor needs me there. Well, that will only last so long. Well, I, I, I need to go because once in a while I serve in some capacity. Well, that will only last so long. There has to be a real devotion to the Lord Jesus for us to understand the value 
in the New Testament church. How many of you have your Bibles this morning? Let's read Matthew chapter 6. If you're looking through your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Matthew's at the beginning of the four Gospels. We're going to talk about fasting. Wednesday night we talked about gluttony. We're starting a trend here. Everybody's like, can we just talk about feasting? Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do who try to look pale and disheveled so people admire them for their fasting. I assure you that this is the only reward that they'll ever get. Oh, I'm doing it for Jesus. Doing it for Jesus. That's probably what I looked like late on Friday night when Nathan came to rescue helped me on flooring. I'm doing this for Jesus. Ugh. I felt like that when I went home. <laughs> Verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Kids, brush your teeth, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will suspect you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in secret. And your father who knows all secrets will reward you. How many of you have ever asked, been asked by a doctor to fast prior to having tests? or other medical procedures done. Yeah, it's kind of hard. It's one thing for you to decide not to eat a meal. It's another thing for someone to tell you not to eat a meal. And, and for them to tell you, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to eat a meal. After you're done with the test, you're like, about midnight, you're still awake, tapping the side of bed, and your wife's like, just go eat something then already. <laughs> you know? Did you find that when you were told not to eat, suddenly your body began craving food? It's just like when my wife says, you know, she's going to start eating healthy. I was like, yeah, I am too. I'm going to do that too. And she goes and gets the healthy stuff, and I look at what she's cooking. It's like, is that what we're having? Yeah. Do we have, I, I that looks good, but do we have anything else in the fridge? <laughs> any leftovers? <laughs> Jen, I want a tub of ice cream. No, we're eating healthy. Come on, I need ice cream. No, we're eating healthy. Seriously, I need ice cream. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll eat healthy tomorrow. She goes and gets the ice cream. I eat half, feel sick. And I'm like, you're such an enabler. <laughs> you see the torture she goes through? Suddenly you begin thinking about food like never before. Re recently with this future campus build, it'd be easy sometimes for me to just be working. And all of a sudden I realize it's 2 o'clock. I missed lunch. And then I'm like, well, might as well keep going. And then later I feel woozy. And Jen says, you need to eat. But, it, but, but this is not a healthy form of weight loss. When I built our house, I skipped meals. I ate a little less, especially in the heat, and I'd lose weight. It's not the healthy way. And that tells me that the older I get, the more I ignore my mind and body signals of when the right time to eat is. There's studies that will tell you, and our family has discussed it. My parents, they grew up, you eat everything on your plate. Well, the problem is when mom cooks for an army and the plates get really full, you start mentally thinking, hey, this is like a competition. Let's see how much we can put down. And I'm a good boy because I ate everything. And I made mom feel good because her cooking was good, right? This cycle of mom feels good. I felt good before I ate this much, but I'll feel good tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, then that, that high energy of youth goes away and you get past those teen years. And all of a sudden you look down and it's like, mom, what happened to me? And you've grown, right? 
Past experience tells me that if I will discipline myself for 60 days in my eating patterns to be healthy, that I'll eventually think differently. You see, there is a thought process attached to our eating patterns, just like any other habit. There's a thought process when we teach our kids to brush their teeth so their teeth won't rot out. If we will keep them doing in the habit every night, you know, when we say get ready for bed, our kids, now we don't have to say, okay, go in, brush your teeth, comb, you know, comb your hair, put on your pajamas or whatever, and go to bed. We don't have to say that. We can just say it's time to get ready for bed. What do they do? They go in, they brush their teeth, they do all this thing, hopefully. So, the longer we the longer we train ourselves in in a way with food the the longer it or the harder it will be for us to change that thought process when i was in bible college i decided i was hitting a very spiritual high moment where i was like finally i'm like i'm here preparing for ministry i need to be like jesus with skin on i've got to get myself all, all these bad thoughts i get all these other things i've got to just i've got to be so holy before anybody would let me be a missionary or pastor and so i decided jesus did a 40 day fast i'm going to do a 40 day fast i told myself i was doing it for the right reasons to get closer to god but I really was more just trying to experience what it felt like to know what Jesus endured. And listen, I didn't make it the 40 days because I started hallucinating at like day 21 and the room started spinning on me because I was doing just water and a little bit of bread now and then. But fasting is certainly something we should engage in as believers. But what is it and why do we do it? Here's the thing, it, fasting for spirit, for in the spiritual realm, and what it talks about in the Bible is not for medical procedure, and it's not to lose weight. It's for spiritual reasons. We talked about that decision people make that morning. Do I go to church or do I go to the lake? Do I go to church or do I do that little project I haven't had time? And you, you know, you got to understand, I work all week, and then Saturday got taken up with other family stuff, and I really want to get this project done. And, and so, you know, it won't hurt for me to miss that time in church, but then what if that day God had been preparing the minister all week for something that was going to hit you right between the eyes and make, a, make you make a decision? We prayed this morning that we would be bringing people to a point of decision today. You're, you may have already made the decision to follow Christ, but every time you come to church, you should be faced with a decision, a decision for change. And so we prayed for that. See, Jesus assumed that fasting would be part of the normal Christian life. So you say, I'm a Christian? I'm a Christ follower. Well, Jesus, who is the one we are following, made the assumption that we would all fast at times. So if he makes that assumption because that is part of the Christian life, then we should understand what fasting is and it should be applied to our lives, but applied correctly because there is a danger in doing fasting incorrectly because now we're moving away from just whether I pray every day. You're not going to starve to death because you didn't pray every day, at least not physically. You're not going to starve to death if you don't listen to worship music every day. You're, you're not going to stop breathing. There's not going to be some physiological reaction. But with fasting, if done in, incorrectly and for the wrong reasons, you're trusting God to sustain you in times, especially when people go into ex extreme fasting like I tried the 40-day fast. Like prayer and like giving, the act of fasting helps promote an attitude of dependence on God. Th this, is, this is the deal. I started thinking before first service already about our lunch. I started thinking about it, like, I kind of know what we have in the fridge. 
And I don't know what we have in our eat out money fund. We do these little funds, you know. And I'm thinking, maybe I talk Jen and just going somewhere. But then if I go to the Mexican food place, I'll probably eat too many chips and I'll be discouraged because that will make me sleepy. And I, I do need to focus on some things this afternoon to get ready for Monday, Monday at the project. And we got this whole thing. Food and our meals, it's important. We, we revolve our lives sometimes around meals. It might cause problems. I let you too far into my mind, so we're going to stop. <laughs> Fasting, to put it quite simply, is setting aside a space of time where we abstain from food and drink. Now, obviously, we can't do that indefinitely, but we can, we can push the plate back for a time. We could take the time, we could spend eating and use it for prayer and devotional reading. Fasting is not complicated and it's not magical. It's not a formula whereby you go on a hunger strike to get God's favor. This is not uh, to manipulate God. Almost every religion requires some sort of fasting from its uh, followers. Buddhists fast and so do Muslims. Even in the Greek and Roman religions of Jesus' day, fasting was part of their duty to their gods. To the Greek or Roman, fasting was not about getting some high to high spiritual place. Fasting was about, about ensuring the proper relationship between you and the spirits and the gods. So when Paul talks to the Corinthian believers about whether or not to eat meat offered to idols, we get a glimpse into the Romans and Greeks' thoughts. In their minds, now listen to this, in their minds you could ingest evil spirits through food. Now I've eaten some hot spicy stuff where I imagine if they'd tried that said that has a devil in it, for sure. <laughs> have I ever told you a story about, you know, I go to these Chinese places, Thai places, whatever, and some of them they have the one through five star rating, whatever, and so I just skip all that and I'll just say, melt my face off. Give me something hot enough to melt my face off. And they look at me like, really? I'm like, yeah. And every time that I've done that, now as I get older, you all know that, that, that you can't do that forever. It does start affecting changes. But I would do that knowing that most places their hottest hot was just about right for me. Until I went to this Chinese place that used to be in Tommy Town, a little strip mall. And I told the guy, melt my face off. Now when I say that, I usually come out with fried rice. I'll get like chicken fried rice, pork fried rice, and it would be speckles of the hot peppers in it, or the pepper flakes. Or, or they've used some kind of chili oil, and I, I can tell by the color. I was like, okay, that's about right. This came out fluorescent orange. And I'm not teasing. It was all fluorescent orange. The rice, the meat, the everything. And the guy says, okay, here you go. <laughs> and I said, all right, here I go. And I ate a few bites, and I'm like, this isn't so bad. It's not so bad. And then all of a sudden, my stomach started hurting. It wasn't even about the mouth burning. It wasn't about the eyes watering. It was like, help me. I need emergency services. And it was terrible. I, the first time in my life, did not finish my food. I ate a little portion. Didn't even want the leftovers. He kind of goes, made it too spicy for you? Yes. I said, you win. <laughs> I said, that was the first time. You win. But... They, they thought that you could get some kind of evil spirit through food. And so when Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers, they especially believed that about food that was eaten near someone who had just died. Now, I knew when I read this, I said, now, I don't worship other gods. I worship one true God. But I've always felt a little funny about why they have meals at funerals, especially when you walk right out of just 
help me out a little bit. No disrespect to us. Uh, we've all lost people that we love. But you're sitting there, right? And here's a funeral going. And, and your loved one's up there. And at the end, this part of closure, they come up and they open the casket. And everybody walks by, says their goodbyes. So if you're real close to them, some people think it's weird. But you know, I've patted their hand before, you know, and just thank the Lord for their life. And you go through that. But as a kid, you know, I didn't want to touch anybody, even if I loved them. And, and I walk out. And they're like, and we're having a fellowship meal back here. And you walk back and you're just like, I just looked at my my dead relative and you're going to serve me food. And I didn't ever have, that was about the only time I wasn't hungry. And it'd wear off a little bit and I'd go home and it's like, I'm hungry. Like, we just had food there. I was like, yeah, I can't eat. I can't eat at a funeral. But this is, they would not eat food or ingest food around uh, dead bodies because when someone just died, they believed that they could um, get a, uh, a evil spirit from that. And so... This this was this was um, something that they they often uh, were concerned about, and so the Romans and the Greeks believed that fasting could provide a way for someone to gain stronger magical powers as well. But they wouldn't eat for a while after somebody died; they fast. But then they would also um, fast because they believed they get stronger magical powers uh, through fasting. They believed they could get dreams, oracles from the gods, or ability to cast stronger spells. It was a way for them to have greater personal power. And through other religions, uh, they, they, though they practice fasting, it does not mean that we as Christians have the same motivations for fasting as they might. It, it, here's the thing. I've always said that for what God has created that is a real spiritual impact to us, the devil will counterfeit and he'll mess it up. So listen, Adam and Eve had this relationship with God and when they had to leave the garden and we had Cain and Abel and then... Uh, Abel killed, or Cain killed Abel, and the sin started entering. Somewhere along the way, the idea of fasting in these other religions, they came from the true form of fasting from God, but they twisted it. And so we have to be very careful that we don't enter into a false sense of worship when we fast, that we do it for the wrong reasons. I'm going to fast so that I become super spiritual. I'm going to fast so that when I pray, God just does whatever I say. And listen, we fast sometimes so that God will, will move God to, to answer a prayer, but you have to protect your heart from being manipulative. I'm doing it to get some kind of special in with God. The Old Testament speaks often of people fasting. Moses fasted 40 days prior to receiving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34 and 28. It says, Moses was up on a mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he neither, neither ate nor drank. At that time, he wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. That's amazing to me. You get weak when you don't eat, 40 days, and he's actually chiseling away on stone tablets, has energy to do that. That was God. Daniel fasted prior to receiving visions. If you remember in Daniel chapter 9 uh, and in 10, it talks about Daniel chapter 9, 2 and 3 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleased him, with, and pleased him in prayer and fasting. I wore rough sackcloth and sprinkled myself with ashes. This was a cultural thing then they did to show their devotion to the Lord. It was an act of humility. Daniel 10, 2-4, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food or meat and had drunk no wine and had used no fragrant oils. 
Esther called for a season of fasting before entering into the king on behalf of her people. And the Old Testament idea of fasting speaks to a humbling of the soul. Listen, well, there's only a few of us in here, and so I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, but the truth of the matter is, is we have more pride than we will ever really realize in our lives. Pride, you know, I've talked about that. I'm going to deal with pride in the last of our Seven Deadly Sins series because I believe it's the most prevalent in Christianity. I will tell you, it's like when we help a brother or sister out in some way, and we have to tell them what we gave up to help them so that they appreciate fully what we did for them. There's pride in that. We're being prideful that somehow our, uh, somehow our, our time is so much more valuable than theirs and, that, and we sacrifice them or we, whatever it was. But pride sneaks in in the Christian life more so in this day. And part of it is because culturally everything we watch on TV, you think about some of the, the, uh, the sinful lifestyles we see, pride is celebrated. Humility is not celebrated. So, so we are, if we're not careful, indoctrinated, indoctrinated into this idea of being proud of who we are, but not proud in a good way. So to fast was to humble oneself before God in total dependence on him for strength in life. It's saying, God, I do not count myself as worth anything without you. So I put myself in this place of humility that I need you to help sustain me. But what was the motivation behind fasting? When we look at the facts of Daniel, Moses, and Esther, we see the motive rests on how their humble action could benefit from others. It's not about us. It's not about, it, it was not about revelation. That was a byproduct of becoming humbled for God. In other words, some people will, will fast thinking, I'm going to have God just download a new revelation to me, something new for my life. I'm going to fast until he gives it to me. And I've done that. And I've even been led to do that by other believers. But as I search scripture, I realized that that was a byproduct of what was happening. But the real motivation should be behind fasting is to simply put ourselves in a humble place for God and let him do whatever he will do. Because if we're still in control and have our needs punch list before him, the fasting is to get ourselves to a point that says, you know what, I need to get to a point where I need nothing but him. My goal is to just have myself full of him, and I will let him do what he wants to do. So it was not about power, it was about serving a nation that needed God's protection. It, it's the thing I've cautioned us about. It, listen, everything we do in this church needs to lead us to to having the right attitude towards God. And so, unfortunately, I don't worry about this here because of who I am, but in church culture in this, in this country, it's really easy for the pastor to become everybody's Jesus. And, and so we begin trying to serve a pastor, not serving the Lord alongside the pastor. We, we do things for the pastor thinking that we're doing it for them, but we need to always be doing it for the Lord. And I've tried to protect everybody on the project from saying, hey, I'll come help you, Pastor. Please, please don't do that to yourself because what you begin training yourself to do is that you're doing it for man, not for God. I'll come help the Lord to get this building ready for more souls. And we're like, well, it's just natural for me to say that because you're out there and, you know, and this is your job and, you know, this is what you get paid to do. So, I mean, I'm coming to help you. Because this is just like I go to my job and they pay me to do it. I'm going to your job and helping you do what you get paid to do. 
And that's why it's so difficult pastoring because I thought that way too. I come from Walmart corporate office. I'm like, Lord, we don't sell a product and this church is going to close doors in 15 months. We don't have money. How do I make this money? You know? It was a paradigm shift for me. I, had, I grew up in church, and I had these thoughts. I had to call my previous pastor, Pastor Roger, and say, I'm sorry. I realized that in my mouth, how I spoke to you, I made it more about doing things for you and not God. And now I realize it's all about doing it for God. It's the only thing that flies. And so when we get into fasting, we have to make sure and protect our hearts that the true reason we're doing it is the reason we need to do it is we're doing it to draw close to God. Period. Nothing else attached. No strings attached. God, I'm just doing this because I realize I love food so much. Maybe I love the television so much. I have my own little theory. Don't take this as, as truth. I'm just thinking out loud. See, food hits me real hard real quick. You take away the food and the hangriness and all that stuff, and you go through the emotions, and, you, and you're getting cranky with people, which is counterproductive to getting close to God because now you're treating them like you're the devil, not like you're Jesus, and so it's a problem, Right? TV, on the other hand, I can take it away for a couple weeks and I can feel real spiritual about that, but it didn't really hurt me that bad. I, I'm a believer that some things we have to fast, we have to think long, long term if we really want to hurt. Like, I'm, I'm going to take my TV away for this year. And give <laughs> Colton's eyes are like the size of, a, <laughs> of like softballs right now. Oh, my word, I think he might need resuscitations. <laughs> But, you know, some things like that you have to take away a long time for to get you to that place with the Lord. And that's the goal of fasting is get myself in a place of complete submission, surrender to the Lord. And so it has to hurt. When I grew up, we talked a lot about sacrifice to the Lord, about making sacrifices. Not animal, not human. That was what the pagans did. But making sacrifices, true sacrifices. It's like when we give an offering. This is really hard for me to talk about because I'm the one now trying to drive the, the finances to help support this and, and God pay for it. Uh, but I'll just kind of tell you that, listen, until you get to the point where you can give sacrificially in your own finances and not do it for some selfish reason, like, oh, look at this check I'm dropping in. Everybody see? Or, you know, whatever it is. But, but you have to get to a point where you're, you're doing it for the Lord. And that fasting is very important when it comes to that the old testament only required of the jewish people one fast day per year one on the day of atonement this was the day of national repentance in leviticus chapter 16 verses 29 through 30 on the appointed day in early autumn you must spend the day fasting and do not and don't do any work this is a permanent law for you, and it applies to those who are Israelites by birth, as well as to the foreigners living among you. On this day, atonement will be made for you, and you will be cleansed from all your sins in the Lord's presence. Now, this was in the Old Covenant. This is before Christ died on the cross for our sins and offered that atonement. So we're not bound to this particular day and this particular thing. It was for them forever, but, but Christ now, remember when Paul says, there's no more Jew nor Greek nor Gentile. Right. This is this is the gospel is OK. So but after a while, one day fast involved evolved into a legalistic system of rules. It's just like we've been talking about. <laughs> if I came in here and said. We should not wear black shirts in church. To help you out, Mitch, we should not wear black shirts or gray suit coats in church ever. And Mitch and I are like, hmm, OK, so we won't wear that. And 
and that was that's fine. But then all of a sudden people started saying, well, really, if it's gray or black shirts, or maybe that's dark charcoal gray. Maybe we should stick to gray. Okay, the dark gray. So we're charcoal gray. You cannot wear the new song colors. You can't wear that. All right. And and pretty soon someone says, well, I don't know. Here's the thing though. Caleb has a gray stripe across the shirt, and so really, let's just go ahead and include that. And then pretty soon it's like, you know, if you got gray on your shoes, if you got and and it just would snowball, and so. And so pretty soon these things went out of hand like, and it became legalistic rules. And they totally lost the idea of what it was about. It was to set aside that day to make sure that one day we gave up the thing most important to life itself besides hair is food. Look at Isaiah 58 with me this morning. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 3. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Tell my people, Israel, of their sins. Yet they act so pious. Pious is like, you know, proud in a I'm better than you way. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to hear my laws. You would almost think this was the righteous nation that would never abandon its God. Ouch. By the way they're acting, you just think they got all together. This is the people that always serve me, but they don't. They love to make a show of coming to me and asking me to take action on their behalf. God tells Isaiah to expose the uh, selfishness of the people's worship. They pretend to want God's blessing, but really do not. And that is demonstrated in their actions. Verses 3 through 4. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have done so much penance and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why. It's because you're living for yourselves even while you're fasting. You keep right on oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get anywhere with me. I'm going to tell on a previous boss I had before. In a, in a few minutes we have left, I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to tell you about that. I'm going to tell on him. It's been a long time ago, so he's nowhere around this area. It was another city. But I had this boss who would, would sit there with the Bible before we, we were on a trip. I'd travel with him to go put in fire suppression systems for computer labs and other places. And he would he'd read the scripture and just give me this very, um, you know, this very uh, profound viewpoint on the scripture. We get on the job site, and I'd start doing something. I was still in training, still learning, and I start doing it wrong. And he'd grab some, give me that. Boy, I, I don't know how how long it's going to take you to learn this. And I mean, it just he just flipped like that. So bad, so that after a while, I was in Kansas City with him on a job, and a plumber, or electrician came up to me and said, "Is that your dad?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, the way he's talking to you, I thought he was your dad." I said, "No, my dad doesn't even talk to me that bad," <laughs> you know. He said, well, here's some money. I want to buy you a bus ticket for you to go home. You need to quit this job and leave. Leave him with his stuff to get home. I said, no, I won't do that. I ended up, I did quitting. But, but the crazy thing is, is that this man who professed to be a Christian would talk about, you know, his fasting and his prayer time and his devotions and, you know, how he just, oh, had just awesome times with the Lord. But out in the public when he was under pressure, in the workplace, there'd be this other side of him that nobody wanted any of that. Isaiah 58, verse 4 through 5, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like a, 
like a blade of grass in the wind. You dress in sackcloth and cover yourselves with ashes. Is that what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Is this, and then go, is, is this really what God has intended, I would ask you? Did he expect your righteous actions? Did he expect that your righteous actions would cause you to become something you're not? It is not that God is saying, do not fast. He's simply saying, do not let it become something absent of his presence by your evil actions. The goal is not to be perfect before you fast. The goal is to be, uh, to be drawn to be closer to him and be holy through the fast. That that's what's to draw out of you. So if you do these things, but yet you resist doing them for the right reasons, then listen, your attitudes won't change. Your behavior, how you act, will not become closer to Jesus. And all you'll do is you'll look like this to God. Why are you doing this? Do you think this is going to reach me? You're doing all these things. You're, you're, you're going to church. You're fasting. You're doing all these things. You're having devotions. But yet when you interact with people, when you do, do things before people, you, you would never know that you follow me. Isaiah 58, 6-9. No, the kind of fasting I want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. If you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Verse 9, then you will call the Lord. When you call the Lord, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will click quickly reply. Stop oppressing the helpless and stop making false accusations and spreading vicious rumors. Look at what God expects to happen when we fast with the right motivation. Notice that God's fast prompts us to look outward to the needs of others. We feel the oppression of hunger so that we can recognize there are those whom God wants us to feed. If If you watch YouTube, there's this thing with kind of these guys, these YouTubers, who will go out and do nice things for homeless people. And they put it out there. And my first thought is, is, you know, you're showing this to to make yourself look good. They went and bought 200 Big Macs or, or... some kind of burger from McDonald's and gave them out to homeless. And that's great. And I see the other aspect of it is, is encouraging others maybe to do the same. And these aren't ones who are professing the gospel or trying to uh, promote uh, the gospel. They're doing it trying to say this world needs this. And I'm telling you, I believe that the world is crying out. We need examples of Jesus out there. They just don't know what to call it. They need an example of the gospel be reaching through compassion to those out there. But listen, when we fast and we feel the, pain, the, the pains of, uh, of hunger, life without food, it should make us want to be never, never see uh, anyone in the position of hunger again. When we do that, it should put us in the position we never want to see someone without Jesus again. As we fast, God reminds us of how empty we are without him. And he spurs us on to be those who bring light and hope to the world. Okay, just in closing, Isaiah 58, 9 through 12. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as day. The Lord will guide you continually 
wa uh, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Your children will rebuild the, de uh, the deserted ruins in your cities. Then you'll be known as a people who rebuild their walls and cities. But God doesn't just want to remind us of these things. He is reminding us so that we'll take action. In, a, in another message sometime, we'll, we'll approach fasting also from, from the aspect of when there is um, demonic oppression on people. Some things only come out through prayer and fasting, Scripture tells us. And the truth of the matter is, some folks come to me and say, Pastor, pray for my family. We've got all this stuff, bad stuff going on. We've got all this going on. And I think to myself is, you know, I can pray for you, or, and you may be praying, but the Word of God says some of these things only come out through prayer and fasting. What are we giving up? to put ourselves in such a place of submission that God can guide and use us as part of the solution. M many times I'm at wonder when people look at, uh, at the evangelical church like we are Catholic, and I, I'm not going to talk bad about Catholic, I'm just going to say, in their mindset, the priest is the one that fixes all the problems. But sometimes we look at it like we, we, we have the Word of God here in our hands, we know what it tells us to combat these things, that sometimes prayer and fasting is what does it, and then we still go to someone else and say, will you pray for them? Well, guess what that's saying? It's saying, I'm not willing to get myself in a place of complete surrender to see it happen. I want to see it happen, but not bad enough to put myself in that place of surrender. Fasting is one of the hardest things to do. I can tell you, I'll admit to you, in the last seven years, almost seven years I've passed this church, there's been times I attempted to fast and failed. I needed to fast to get something, you know, to get somewhere, something answered from God and, uh, just say, God, I need to put this in your hands. I need to get myself in that place of surrender. And I didn't complete. And I think it's because I had the wrong motivation in it. I had something that annoyed me, and I wanted him to do something about it, but I wasn't desperate enough to give up the thing most important to me. And so my question for you this is, is this today. There is something in your life that you'd like God to do. And it may be something that's desperate. Maybe you're saying, you know, I don't really want to keep just being a Christian in name only. I want to be so full of God that people's lives are changed around me. But you can't change yourself. You keep trying to change yourself and it's not working. You keep trying to change actions and what you say out your mouth and, you know, the coming to church, but, but it's just not changing. Some things come out by prayer and fasting. There's sometimes we have... Just like food, we've trained ourselves to need it, right? We've trained ourselves to brush our teeth. We've trained ourselves. But sometimes we've trained ourselves that, that I should just pray, and if it doesn't happen well, then God didn't want it to happen. Sometimes he's saying, I want you to want it bad enough that you want to be part of the solution. So I, I want to I pray this morning, our closing prayer, I want to pray this morning. I have some things in my heart. And one of is the opportunity that we have here first service there's a time this was more full of folks and uh we've lost connection with some people and so i'm i'm wanting the lord to help me to commit to some fasting to believe for lives to be changed in these seats and whatever yours is i want us to just take a moment and pray and ask god to to draw us close to him and whatever it may take if it's fasting you know you have to do that in with wisdom it may be a, a meal a day for a week, it may be, it depends on the person of what really will get them to a place of humility and brokenness before the Lord.
It may not even be food. It may be something that you're letting consume your life. It may be a cell phone. It may be a smartphone and the internet that's just consuming you. And you know that it's drawing you away from family and the Lord and you need the Lord to be first again. So it may be fasting that. But we're going to pray. Lord, I just come to you and ask, Lord, as each one is, is speaking to you, God, you help me to be willing to give up whatever it is that will put me in a place, Lord. Make me part of the solution for those things that burden my heart. Help me, Lord, to be willing to give up the things that are precious to me in order to make it about others. Help me to see, Lord, that, that time is short and that while I wait and continue to, to feast on the things that I enjoy, Lord, that there are others who who are on the verge of eternal separation from you and that their souls matter more than the food I eat, more than the things I own, more than the time I have. Lord, I pray that you'd help me develop in my own life a spirit, a, a culture of fasting. Lord, a, a devotion of fasting. And Lord, that I might be able to lead by example. And we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing in us in today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, love you guys, and we'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday night, 630. And uh, have a wonderful Sunday.